0: This episode of the Curious About Cannabis podcast is brought to you by you, our dedicated listeners and supporters. Thanks to your continued listening, sharing, and donations, we've been able to continue the show free from third-party advertisers and sponsors. So, thank you. And if you'd like to learn about other ways you can support the show, visit patreon.com slash curiousaboutcannabis.
1: My name is uh, Vincenzo Di Marzo. I'm uh, research director at the National Research Council, and currently I'm actually a Canada Excellence Research Chair in Quebec City in Canada. I've been working on the endocannabinoid system since uh, basically its discovery uh, at the at the beginning of the 1990s, and uh, I've been working on the biochemistry, chemistry, pharmacology. Uh, development of new tools uh, analytical tools pharmacological tools to to investigate this system and uh, more recently I have become uh, interested in uh, in investigating uh, the expansion of the endocannabinoid system into a large and larger larger uh, chemical uh, signaling system uh, which uh, we we define as the endocannabinoidome uh, and uh, the relationship between the endocannabinoidome and the gut microbiome which is what i do in uh, in, uh, in quebec city at university of laval
0: you're listening to the curious about cannabis podcast hey everybody this is jason wilson with the curious about cannabis podcast thanks so much for tuning in once again Uh, So today, I am beyond delighted to connect with somebody I've been wanting to talk to for many years since I started uh, studying cannabis and cannabinoid science. I'm with Dr. Vincenzo DiMarzo, uh, who, if you haven't heard of him uh, by the time you finish listening to most of my podcast episodes, you will definitely have heard of him. Uh, Thanks so much, Dr. DiMarzo, for being willing to come on the podcast today and talk to me about cannabinoid science.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, one of my first questions, um, in the beginning of your book, The Endocannabinoid Dome, in your dedications, uh, one thing that you admit is you have an obsession about uh, endocannabinoids and cannabinoids. So I guess my first question to you is, why are you so obsessed with cannabinoids?
1: Well, I would say more than cannabinoids, I'm obsessed with the, the endogenous counterparts of the cannabinoids, which, uh, which are the endocannabinoids and uh, And uh, in fact, um, since the beginning, uh, when we started investigating this uh, this chemical signaling system, we were intrigued and fascinated by its involvement in basically all uh, physiological uh, aspects of of mammalian life. And then uh, uh, we also understood that, in fact, this is a system, uh, so deeply involved in physiology that becomes also deeply involved in pathology. And um, and it seemed to be uh, quite complicated to study, but then it became even more complicated uh, when we, we could see that this system was not as simple as we thought at the beginning, but it was easily to be expanded into a much bigger uh, signaling systems, which probably uh, we will end up discovering Controls uh, uh, all aspects of human physiology and pathology, and um, uh, the other reason why uh, I became so interested in this system is because there is a lot of uh, of space for for uh, chemistry. I'm a chemist to start with, and uh, and there is a lot of uh, chemical uh, variability and uh, and biodiversity and chemical diversity in uh, in not only the cannabis plant but also in the in the endogenous. Uh, signals that we discovered uh, starting from studies on on THC so uh, the more we studied it the more complicated it looked so it, 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 I really like complicated things uh, I like things that can explain in in a mechanistic way uh, things from you know the, the the functioning of a single cell uh, to up to the behavior of a complex organism like uh, like uh, laboratory animals and and humans so um, I still think that there is. We've probably done less than ten percent or fifteen percent, uh, and uh, and one lifetime will not uh, be enough to <laughs> to to study it to... all.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and that just gives uh, plenty of work to the future generations. Uh, something yeah. that's been on my mind a lot. Um, that I was I was emailing um, Rafael Mashulam just a couple of days ago and asking him about. Yeah. Um, I don't know what he hopes that people take away from the work that, you know, uh, himself and and you and, you know, other people like Roger Perchway and others, you know, who are really kind of at the beginning of a lot of the stuff um, where it hopes to go. And we were talking a little bit about the future generations of cannabinoid scientists that are, you know, coming on the on on board with new opportunities to study. Uh, cannabinoids that um, you know was much more difficult um, back in through the '60s, the '90s or so, when we we're really mm-hmm. getting a lot of this grounding established. Um, it's a really exciting time to see what the future, the subsequent lifetimes, yeah. um, unveil that we won't be around to to see. And how I was I was very
1: lucky to start to start uh, in this field when the pioneers of this field, like Rakh uh, Rafi Meshulam and and Roger Perth and Alin, all it was were really Still very very active in this field. Uh, they're still active, of course, but, but obviously those were the times when they were making also uh, themselves the major discoveries uh, in this field. And it, this also explains my excitement at being there. And I've been very lucky because I, I, I when I think about my involvement in this field, I thought I was in in the right place at the right time. So yes. I owe very much. I owe a lot of of, of what we did. In, in, in my group to the to the work of Rafi and Roger and Alan Holt.
0: And how, uh, so talking about your start in doing some of this research, um, how did you start to get clued into, I mean, you know, obviously you were involved in um, foundational research that characterized the concept of the entourage effect and as well as your paper in 1998 that sort of describe for the first time what the endocannabinoid system does and that sort of thing but when did you start to um when did the idea of the endocannabinoid system start to expand for you um when did you start to think about um it seems like there was a perceptual shift in how we saw fatty acids and all these other components of the body once you know we started studying these cannabinoid receptors and how the vanilloid receptors are part of you know all these things so When did that start to really expand for you, where you realized this is something way bigger than Mm -hmm. just CB1, CB2, anandamide, 2AG, all of that?
1: Well, yeah, that's a a difficult question, but obviously uh, the realization of the importance of the endocannabinoid system came, I would say, between, uh, in my case, at least 1995 and, and 2000. Because this at those t- those times we actually developed uh, analytical methods to measure the endocannabinoids and anandamide and 2-AG in uh, biological fluids and and, uh, and tissues, and we were very very lucky to collaborate with uh, tens, I would say even probably hundreds of of uh, of scientists all over the world who would provide us with samples from uh, from patients with various disorders or from uh, from animal models of disorders. So we basically. Started analyzing tissues and 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 blood, uh, like like meds, uh, all over the world, and uh, and we 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 realized that this system was very easily perturbed uh, by mm-hmm. several different, uh, not only pathological condi- conditions, but also um, changes in the in the in the equilibrium, in the physiological equilibrium. Even physiological changes would change the the system. So. I and others came to the conviction that this this system is is a homeostatic system uh, present in all cells and tissues, um, and especially if you if you expand this system beyond CB1 and CB2, you will find endocannabinoids like anandamide and 2-AG in all tissues, in all tissues from uh, from uh, not only from mammals but also from higher vertebrates and in some cases also from vertebrates. So you you. We, we we noticed that we started working also in in some very uh, primitive forms of life like a hydra or or some mollusks or, or echinoderms and and we could see that the endocannabinoids were there even though the cannabinoid receptors as we know as we knew them CB1 and CB2 were not there so uh, we wondered why, why why do we make these molecules and and we also realized that the the amounts of these molecules were subject to be altered by by the diet and, uh, and by the intake of some uh, particular fatty acids in the diet. So we, we, we wondered how, how come that there is such an important system and that this system can be changed by something as simple as, as eating uh, one oil rather than, other, uh, than another. So, you know, we were really intrigued and we, we thought that this maybe was really the response of the organism. If not the only one, but one of the, the the most important responses of the organism to all forms of uh, um, uh, going far from the from the equilibrium from the homeostasis mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, this system would be activated to to bring back homeostasis in in cells and also at the organismal uh, levels and then uh, we realized that several forms of stressful conditions would uh, would also um, alter this system in a way that this system could change uh, the output of other chemical signals. So in those years, we came to the to the hypothesis, and it was still an hypothesis that uh, has been uh, uh, since then, um, I would say, largely uh, um, proven that this system is a system made of local uh, uh, chemical signals because you know the endocannabinoids cannot really. Travel from one organ to the other, so they act where they are produced, um, produced and, and and triggered by by stressful, even kind of benign forms of stress. You know, subtle perturbation of of the of the of the, of the, of the status of the cell, um, but also environmental stress uh, like physical exercise, diet changes in the in the light dark cycles um in order to re-retune the output of other chemical signals but in turn since this this system was present in in different parts of the the organ the system was also itself being uh, uh, controlled by by many other chemical signals so it it's like uh, we, we made a comparison you know it's it's like an orchestra uh, it's like the director of the orchestra which is also directed by the the musicians of the orchestra. So it's, it, it, it was quite an intriguing uh, hypothesis that uh, we're still investigating. And of course, now with the discovery of the endocannabinoid dome, this is, this is becoming more difficult to, to prove.
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely. And for those listening that um, maybe don't have such a techno- technical background on cannabinoid science, how would you describe the concept of the endocannabinoid dome to somebody?
1: Okay, so basically, you know with the word om now we, we make new words containing the the the, the prefix, the suffix "ome uh, to identify a very large system. Um, so we have the genome, we have the metabolome, we have the proteome, and so on and so forth. so the the, endo, the endocannabinoidome um, came in a way from uh, you mentioned before the the, the study that uh, Rafi Meshulam, in which we collaborating collaborated on the entourage effect. So basically what Rafi perceived is that uh, and what we were measuring in fact uh, when we were measuring endocannabinoids is that these these two molecules anandamide and 2AG were accompanied by uh, by a plethora of other uh, compounds. And these compounds these metabolites were chemically and biochemically similar uh, meaning that uh, the, you know anandamide and 2AG belongs to belong to two different families of metabolites and these are the n-acyletanolamines and the, and the, the monoacylglycerols uh, some of which were already in, known in fact even one or two decades or even longer than that uh, before the endocannabinoids were discovered so uh, but nobody knew really how these molecules were acting so Rafi, uh, in a very imaginative way that this is really uh, his, his main feature is creativity and my imagination uh, thought well this, these are accompanying uh, molecules that are there to protect to, to make make the two big actors look even more important than they are so it 's an entourage mm-hmm. or you know when politicians go around <laughs> and, and they take with them a lot of uh, a lot of uh, accompanying people and that that 's certainly part of the of the picture but that, then We started realizing that these compounds, in fact, do have uh, molecules, uh, uh, do have targets of their own. So the endocannabinoidome, if you wish, is is a kind of evolution uh, of the the entourage effect. Um, Molecules like the enosylethanolamines or the glycerol started being investigated. Receptors were being found. And and this created, of course, excitement but also complications, uh, yes. because you know the the, the pharmacologists and the, the drug developers were uh, the therapeutic drug developers were were thinking okay we can we can uh, manipulate the levels of the end since they are so strongly involved in pathology we can manipulate the levels of the endocannabinoids uh, of anandamide and 2-AG uh, in order to make more of these compounds. Where they're needed or to reduce the amount their amounts where they're produced in an excessive uh, manner so, so you can do that by manipulating the, the, the degradation of the biosynthesis of, of endocannabinoids but then when it was found that uh, and we found we and many others that anandamide has the same biochemical pathways as other enosalitamol which have different receptors from the cannabinoid receptors uh, this created a strong complication. We cannot really manipulate the levels of anandamide in this way without manipulating the levels of the other previously uh, mm-hmm. uh, known as entourage compounds, but having uh, an identity and, and, and the mechanism of action of, of, uh, independent from the endocannabinoids of their own. So the endocannabinoidome is basically the, uh, the, the bigger system including not only anandamide and 2 ag and, uh, and their main receptors, which are CB1, CB2, but also some of the other receptors for anandamide and 2 ag because these are two very promiscuous molecules, unlike THC. This is one major difference from between uh, between the endocannabinoids and the plant cannabinoids, uh, or at least between, uh, between the endocannabinoids and THC. Uh, and then... Uh, it was found that in fact even the biosynthesis and degradation of of these two compounds could not be only uh, mediated uh, by one or two enzymes there was a redundancy of of biosynthetic and degrading enzymes and and sometimes the degrading enzymes were not degrading enzymes because they were simply converting anandamide and 2AG into molecules which had different receptors and this is you know this is uh, this may seem strange but not to people like uh, like me who have investigated uh, bioactive lipids uh, all their life. You know, all, all bioact- bioactive lipids are transformed into something different and come from something different with a different biological activity. So, uh, And then there is the congeners of anandamide N2-AG, what we called uh, previously the entourage compounds, which uh, have their own receptors, even though they share with the endocannabinoids the same biosynthetical uh, pathways. And then... Finally, there were other molecules which have uh, uh, different uh, uh, biochemical uh, pathways as the endocannabinoids, but are nevertheless, uh, they're not congeners, they're not like cousins, uh, mm-hmm. they're, not, they're not like brothers and sisters, but they're cousins. So, so you have yeah. other n-acyl uh, amides. Uh, and in fact, um, when we collaborated with the, uh, with the with the with the other groups, we we found that in fact, um, in particular with the group of Michael Walker, the late Michael Walker, we, we found that many uh, many compound many amino acids could make amides with fatty acids, and this could create mm-hmm. uh, an almost uh, an incredible number of new combinations between uh, ten or fifteen fatty acids and twenty amino acids. So just just imagine all the permutations. And uh, and so these compounds actually exist as as the group of other brands show as, as also uh, recently uh, investigated and and so it's really we're talking now about a, a, a huge number of chemical mediators so the endocannabinoids their con, their congeners their analogs uh, which may or may have not different uh, similar bios, biochemical pathways normally have different receptors. We're we talking about the several other targets that anandamide and 2 ag have beyond CB1 and CB2. We're talking about other enzymes. So we're talking about something, something about more than 200, 250 chemical uh, mediators, uh, more than 50 enzymes and, and receptors. And some of these receptors were actually known previously, like the, the, the TRIP channels or the, or the PPARs. And uh, and, uh, and the interesting thing is that, you know, of course, we, when the endocannabinoid system became so big, then the next question was, okay, uh, THC is the only out of 100 and more plant cannabinoids that interacts with the endocannabinoid system. What about, maybe, maybe if we don't look only at the endocannabinoid system, but we look at the expanded endocannabinoid system, at this endocannabinoid, dome, maybe the other uh, cannabinoids will interact with the endocannabinoid dome even though they don't interact with the, the endocannabinoid system, this is yeah. true uh, to a large extent uh, uh, for for things like cannabidiol or cannabigerol, uh, the other um, minor, not so minor anymore, uh, right. cannabinoids. Uh, and uh, and in fact, in the case of cannabidiol, uh, even the endocannabinoidome is not sufficient to to explain its pharmacology because it it, it has been suggested to interact also with the with receptors and proteins outside the endocannabinoid dome, not just outside the endocannabinoid system, but even outside the endocannabinoid dome. So, I think the endocannabinoidome is a complex, uh, complex con, uh, concept, which, however, has the merit of explaining the mechanism of action of a much higher number of of plant cannabinoids than than the endocannabinoid system.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it's it's definitely a very tangled web that you can't. So many things are interconnected that it is tricky to manipulate one piece. I saw, um, wasn't there research? I can't remember what year it was now. There was research, I think, in France where they tried to do, uh, I think it was a FAAH inhibitory study and ran into some problems there, Um, unexpected consequences and things. Yeah, even though
1: in that particular case, uh, the problem was not. Uh, due to the fact that by inhibiting the degradation of an they were also inhibiting the degradation of other fatty acid amides. Um, they basically were hitting with this with this new chemical. They were hitting uh, a completely different set of proteins uh, and enzymes mm-hmm. that uh, that um, for which there is less redundancy in the brain. So when you get rid of that enzyme, you have serious problems. Uh, yeah. fortunately when you inhibit fa uh, you you have much less uh, side effects because uh, as i mentioned for the degradation of the endocannabinoids there are many enzymes so uh, mm-hmm. this this is a system so strongly uh, and and deeply involved in in mammalian and animal physiology that uh, uh, it's it's not enough to to kick out one of the enzymes of the receptors to see major Major problems,
0: right? Yeah. yeah, And 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 one thing that's come up in several discussions I've had, um, both with Raphael Machulam and another colleague of yours, Ethan Russo, yeah, um, was how do we? I guess taking this to a practical level, because uh, what physicians are interested in is okay, this is all interesting. We see it's connected to um, all of these aspects of physiology, but how do we measure it? when these compounds are so um kind of ephemeral they they get built when they're needed and then they get broken down quickly and i know that in the past there have been like spinal taps and stuff like that to try to see what endocannabinoids are circulating at the moment Um, but can you speak at all to the um the challenges to trying to characterize the endocannabinoid system or the endocannabinoid dome in a human being
1: yeah it's 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 uh, you're perfectly right it's it's very complicated it's a system that undergoes uh, the levels of these mediators uh, undergo changes uh, by the hour um as I, as i said you know they they're affected by whether or not you you eat food or what kind of food you eat um like like with all the other ohms uh, the the real picture of of the of the system uh, can only be taken uh, at a certain time frame uh, thanks to the uh, very sophisticated uh, new machines that uh, have been uh, really uh, have characterized the, the the more recent years of of scientific development uh, as you know um, the the means by which we we can look into the cell into the uh, biological fluids have uh, have become very sophisticated. And very sensitive and very specific so we can now measure uh, the levels of uh, of anandamide and we can distinguish anandamide which is a very uh, minor uh, compound in fact uh, uh, rafi meshulam always jokes about that that you know he could only discover anandamide because he was probably using uh, a a pig brain that had been Laying in the slaughterhouse for hours, uh, and and this this was later shown to be a process that increases the levels of of, of oh, anandamide wow. tissues. So uh, at that time when he discovered anandamide, there were no uh, mass spectrometers sensitive okay. enough to measure uh, picomolar or femtomolar amounts mm-hmm. of of these compounds. Now we do. Uh, and we can distinguish anandamide from uh, from uh, its uh, brother which has 20 carbon atoms but only 3 double bonds instead of 4 and uh, and maybe that difference is enough for that compound to hit another receptor rather than just cb1 and cb2 so clearly um, we we have the these days the the possibility of measuring with high sensitivity high specificity high rapidity as well uh, mm-hmm. These compounds in all in all tissues, we can uh, we can measure the expression of the enzymes that make these compounds. Uh, with the, even at the single cell uh, level, uh, we we can measure the proteins that are made by uh, by this uh, by, by the, RNA, the the RNAs uh, through the RNAs of, of the various proteins and enzymes and receptors. So we can have a, a, a real. Uh, Real-time, almost real-time picture of what's happening in a given tissue or in a given biological fluid in a, in a given animal with, a, with, a, uh, with, with a, which is undergoing a physiological or a pathological uh, condition. So, and then of course all these data these days uh, these are also the days of uh, of big data of uh, artificial intelligence. So all this data can be put together. There is the new approaches of the systems biology. So all the networks can, uh, can be made sense of. And uh, there is a lot of space for mathematics, not just for analytical uh, chemistry and molecular biology. Uh, so we can have a picture. And at the same time, we have very sophisticated ways to modify, uh, if not one single mediator of the endocannabinoidome, because that would be very difficult to do, but at least one single receptor in a single cell uh, for, for those endocannabinoidome mediators. And by modifying that and then, you know, ad- controlling, you know, like in an on and off yeah. Uh, yeah. situation, we can then understand what the endocannabinoid and, uh, mediators and the endocannabinoid system is doing. And this has been done to a large extent in the brain because that's where all the research started. But it's now being done also in peripheral organs. And this yeah. is where we really appreciate the importance of the, of the endocannabinoid endocannabinoidome and the endocannabinoid system. They're not brain Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, systems they are really pleiotropic, they're doing a lot of things in a lot of places and it's difficult difficult to understand because of course you have lots of molecules being produced and degraded at Mm -hmm. the same time but we must uh, imagine that if these molecules are doing something important and we have evidence that they are um, Mm -hmm. they must have a way of coordinating themselves and being coordinated by by other mediators, by other systems, uh, physiologically and pathologically
0: yeah and and since um all of this activity is so localized, if let's say five, ten years down the road, if some of these analytical technologies become more accessible to hospitals and and things you know worldwide, would someone essentially have to have a biopsy on a particular set of tissues or you know particular organ that sort of thing in order to get some sense of what's going on um, with endocannabinoids or receptors yeah. and that sort of thing um, since they're not being circulated is that the really the only way to to kind of do that yeah,
1: yeah this is yeah unfortunately this is why we still need the animal studies um, we yeah. still uh, we, we've been uh, this is one of the reasons why I've been uh, working on uh, on less invasive uh, uh, and more ethically uh, valid uh, systems, like, you know, invertebrates or zebrafish. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, you, you cannot do without the, the animal studies. Also, because there is genetic mod- manipulations that you can do only uh, in, in animals, fortunately, and uh, yeah. at least for now. <laughs> and, uh, and obviously, it's mar- we've done lots of studies with biopsies the blood when we when we look at the blood of course we have we get very interesting information from, from the blood from mm-hmm. the plasma from the csf now also from the saliva saliva from the feces mm-hmm. but uh, but obviously we don't really know where where uh, what we measure comes from mm-hmm. and, uh, and and this is therefore you know, we can make correlations we can uh, we can make hypotheses but we cannot really have a mechanistic link between what we see and uh, the pathology or the physiological situation, biopsies offer uh, a, a better way. But then you have to be very, of course, you cannot always take biopsies from from humans, certainly not from the prey. And uh, and uh, and uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've been trying to convince students to do that, but I haven't managed.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, geez, yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh, but uh, you have to be careful even with biopsies because you know they need to be. Uh, taken in the right way kept and stored mm-hmm. in the right way uh, so there are less invasive ways there is imaging uh, techniques mm-hmm. that are emerging uh, like pet uh, techniques mm-hmm. to, to image uh, receptors enzymes now you see that for the endocannabinoid system um, and that's that that's really raising the possibility of of doing uh, studies in vivo in real time also mm-hmm. in, in human beings in human volunteers so yeah. Uh, I I I see honestly no limit if not the technological limits of the time, which are probably going to be surpassed tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the only the only thing we need is the realization that this is an important topic to to analyze, because when you have hundreds of mediators coming more or less from the same pathway or having to do with the same pathway, which origi- originates from the endocannabinoid system, but simply because that was the the one we discovered first uh but eating different uh completely different uh targets yeah. uh then you you when you realize that this is important then you you will find a way of of uh, of addressing the the experimental problems and challenges uh, so just it's just a matter of having the right questions and yes. you can get uh, uh, can get answers at least partial answers as we said at the beginning, you know a lifetime would probably not be sufficient to understand all these uh, what all these mediators are doing and how and how do they interact with each other
0: yeah and and one of the most important things in the scientific process is finding better questions to ask than yeah. you necessarily started out with and always
1: um, having, always having the right hypothesis because I'm very much even though you know with the omics you you, you you go fishing a little bit uh, yes. <laughs> i'm still a believer in the the hypothesis driven uh, research so uh, it's nice to have an hypothesis and then of course if you're lucky uh, you, you can get uh, you can get uh, an answer to, to your hypothesis um, and uh, even if, if the answer is negative uh, the secret is not getting too, too attached to your hypothesis.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, being more interested in just trying to understand yeah. uh, what's but actually going on. You to like. have a
1: hypothesis to, 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 to start with.
0: Yeah, to have a focus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I wanted to make sure to talk to you about, because I know it's a focus on a lot of your research right now, which is the connection between the endocannabinoid dome and the gut microbiome. Um, and this is, once again, something that when I spoke with Ethan, he kind of teased a little bit um, of, of some of the work that's going on now. But can you speak a little bit to, um, I mean, obviously, research these days is showing how the gut microbiome, the all the gut flora affects so many different things and um, how the immune system and psychology and all these other things are, are interconnected yeah. with it. But um, what is your uh research focusing on and what are what are you currently um learning about those connections between the endocannabinoid dome and the gut microbiome
1: yeah yeah the yeah this is as, as i said at the beginning i, I like difficult things and yes, uh, yeah. i was given That's a big one <laughs> i was given the opportunity uh, four years ago to start on, on a new uh, project and I, I must say i was immediately attracted to it because you know the gut microbiome uh, I, I saw it a little bit like the endocannabinoid home because it's mm-hmm. it's it's not really an external part to our body. Uh, it's yes. something that has been uh, selected uh, through generations, passed on uh, m- genetically, but not only genetically from from mothers to to to, 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 to children, and uh, uh, it's there for a, to 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 play an important function. Has been conserved. It's not been fought by the immune system, so it's clearly something that that we need and all animals that have microbiomes microbiota uh, need them so it's uh ideally it's a it's a wonderful symbiotic, symbiotic uh, uh, relationship um, with the, with the, with another organ uh, there is several more uh, cells uh, m- microbial cells in our body than our own uh, uh, eukaryotic cells so so clearly, um, this offers the opportunity, if you think of it, of uh, expanding a lot the potentiality of our own body. Uh, there is there is thousands of genes more than the ones we have, uh, lots of more proteins and more molecules. And obviously, what the gut microbiota does to 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 help us, first of all, it does it to help itself. But uh, obviously, in the process, they they produce molecules that can be uh, useful to our own functions uh, by reinforcing our own molecules our own signals but also by creating uh, something that we don't have um, uh, but, you know the, the the experience of the endocannabinoid home told me that you know you never enough chemical signals to to deal with the complexity of life and expe- especially when it comes to Dealing with the the environment and the environmental challenges, you know, uh, having uh, a few thousands genes more, uh, actually quite quite more than a few thousands more, definitely helped, helped us uh, and many other animals to survive and to better respond to the to the envir- to the changing environment. Um, our our own bodies itself a, 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 an environment for for the, these these microbes. Uh, who live in in completely different uh, conditions? Like you know, for us would be living in the North Pole or or in the on the equator. So it's it's really fascinating, and it's uh, uh, and then you know you start thinking, oh, seeing all these papers on the gut microbiota and the gut microbiome. Again, here the difference between the world has to do with the fact that the microbiota are the microbes. The microbiome is the microbes. Is their genes? Is their proteins? Is their small molecules? and so on and so forth. It's a bit like the endocannabinoidome. So I, beyond the, 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 the names, what I saw and what everybody can see is that the, the gut microbiome uh, is involved, is potentially involved, not just in controlling the function of our gut, uh, in helping us with metabolizing things, but also in behavior, in the immune system, mm-hmm. and in most of our uh, functions. A little bit like the endocannabinoid system and the endocannabinoidome, if if you think of it. Uh, But it was really Patrice Cani, in in a a nice paper that was published, I think, uh, before 2010, um, who put the two things together the endocannabinoid system and the gut microbiome. Patrice Cani is a a scientist, a brilliant scientist in Belgium, and he he showed that some of the effects of of, uh, intestinal dysbiosis. Uh, the perturbation of the gut microbiome, because like all things, you know, also like the endocannabinoid system, also the gut microbiome is perturbed, and uh, the perturbation uh, known as dysbiosis produces some of its, effect, its negative effects on metabolism through the endocannabinoid system mm. and through the CB1 receptor. So he was really a pioneer in this in this uh, uh, in this in this field. And at that time, I, I looked at the paper; it was a very interesting, very nice paper. He published a few more. But then I was given the opportunity to to work on a more or less similar uh, subject, and I honestly didn't uh, want to lose the opportunity, also because it came with uh, with very nice funding, mm-hmm. and uh, which which we don't always uh, have in Italy, yeah. we, we almost never have in Italy, and uh, and so I, I I took this opportunity, uh, but it's very complicated because you know I I'm not a micro. Mm-hmm. Uh, microbiologists, and, uh, and uh, the microbiota uh, is very complicated. Uh, although it's not there by chance, uh, there are rules, uh, but every person has a, has a, has a different microbiota. And, uh, but again, you know, every person has a different profile of endocannabinoid mediators. So yeah. again, maybe, you know, there are things that these two systems do together in collaboration or one yeah. to the other. And uh, and there there were many many evidences uh, that uh, that there could there would be a tri- triangle between the the endocannabinoidome the gut microbiome and uh, mammalian uh, physiology and pathology. Uh, so initially we we well, were still focusing on the metabolic uh, uh, on, on obesity and uh, and metabolic uh, disorders, uh, w- which are obviously the first place to look for uh, when you're talking about the gut microbiome, but also when you're talking about the endocannabinoid system. And uh, what we're doing now is trying to prove that these two systems communicate. Gotcha. And again, and again, there are there are things, there are easy, relatively easy things that we could do. For example, uh, use animals who, who don't, which don't have a, a gut micro, which don't have a microbiota at all. So they were raised uh, in sterile conditions. And, uh, and so we went and looked at their endocannabinoid system, their endocannabinoid and it's completely different. Uh, and this could be due to, to, to many, I mean, that doesn't really create a cause-effect relationship. But then when we reinstated the gut microbiome in these germ-free animals, in these germ-free mice, it took, it took only one week to see almost, at least in the gut, almost exactly the same situation as... Uh, conventionally raised the mice so that was really the evidence we were looking that was the first experiment we did that was really the the, the experiment we did to say okay we we stop here or we go
0: <laughs> we, yeah.
1: we go farther it's and we're
0: moving and forward we yeah. Need yeah. to go
1: farther okay <laughs> and then you know there are other things you can do like knocking down enzymes of the endocannabinoid system specifically in in different parts of the body or in the gut and see if uh the endocannabinoid system is modified and again we, we find changes uh sorry if the gut microbiome is modified and we found changes but uh, uh it, it's a complicated field because like with the endocannabinoidome almost everything can change the gut microbiome yeah yeah and uh, and uh, there is still no exact definition of what is a healthy or a pathological uh gut microbiome exactly like the endocannabinoid system so yeah. uh, and possibly also many other uh, endogenous uh, systems that we have. So um, uh, there are many experiments we're doing. We we find very interesting correlations in human studies following interventions between changes in the endocannabinoidome and changes in the in the gut microbiome. Um, we find that if we modify the gut microbiome with probiotics or prebiotics mm-hmm. or antibiotics. We, we see strong changes in the endocannabinoid system. Uh, we're now investigating whether the changes we see in the endocannabinoid system when we modify the gut microbiome are partly responsible for the effects of the modification of mm-hmm. the gut microbiome. Mm-hmm. And the other way around, we, we try right. to see if, if when we change the, the, the endocannabinoid home in a, in a specific manner, the changes we see in the gut microbiome participate in uh, in uh, in the effects of the the, the changes of the endocannabinoidome. So we can do that using exactly the same tools we were mentioning before, plus uh, more omics <laughs> techno- <laughs> technologies like you know, metagenomics to investigate the yeah. composition of the of the gut microbiome and the proteomics to to investigate the proteome. So uh, and in, eventually we will have to ask to mathematicians to 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 to, to look for algorithms that that explain that these correlations we find, but yeah. there are mechanistic ways to to look at the at the relationship between these two worlds.
0: It's it's yeah, it's really fascinating, uh, and the the crosstalk is super interesting. Um, you know, that it's, it's not a one-way street that endocannabinoid doesn't just affect the microbiome or vice versa, that it's back and forth. And I would imagine too, you know, going back to something you mentioned very early on about the diet and, you know, that we have certain, um, requirements to have precursors for different things that our body needs to either construct the enzymes necessary to build up and break down, um, endocannabinoids or receptors or whatever. So I imagine... In just a simple manner, the microbiome would be involved in influencing um, how some of those precursors those building blocks that we get from our foods um, are actually made available um, to the body to even use for some of those biosynthetic pathways
1: absolutely absolutely the the you know there is a, such a large biodiversity in the in the in the gut microbiome that uh, uh, Obviously, uh, you can imagine these bugs to do a lot of things. A lot of things. Yeah. Uh, they, 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 uh, they were discovered because you know we, we could uh, we could see how some of these microorganisms helped us processing stuff that we're not able to process. Uh, what came out after that was that in the process of processing these, for example, complex uh, fibers. Uh, which we cannot process because we don't have the enzyme to make them. These these uh, these microorganisms, these bacteria, make uh, uh, molecules like short chain fatty acids that are strongly active both on the gut, but also on the on the uh, on the brain because they can travel uh, in the bloodstream and reach and enrich the brain or act on the on the peripheral uh, nervous system and and uh, influence the behavior as well. So clearly, there are many many. Possibility that uh, uh, the microbiome can modify the endocannabinoidome. That they, they, the mic- microorganisms make enzymes that are similar uh, to the enzymes that degrade the endocannabinoids. In yeah. fact, uh, some of some of the commensal bacteria they also make endocannabinoid-like mediators. So they make compounds mediators that are very similar to the 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 sisters and cousins of the of anandamide and 2AG. So and and they were shown to act on the same receptors. So the chemical differences between the the these molecules when they're made by uh, the microbes are not such to impede them from to to, to prevent them from interacting with the same receptor. So uh, there is there is really a lot of possibilities for for crosstalk. Um, okay. And of course, as you mentioned, um, the even though we're perfectly capable of processing most uh, most uh, fatty acids. There are fatty acids that we cannot make, like yeah. the the polyunsaturated uh, omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. So for that we rely on the diet, and uh, and these fatty acids uh, can change the function of the of the microbiome. So the the, the omega-3 fatty acids found in fish oil, for example, uh, we know we knew already that when you supplement them in the diet, they can change the endocannabinoidome. Uh, now we know that they can also change the gut microbiome, and some of the changes we see in one or the other are probably due to the fact that they're changing the other rather than, than the former, so the latter rather than the former. So it's, it's, really, uh, it's really interesting. We have, um, what is really difficult here is to, to find models to study this, uh, this interaction, because we cannot mm-hmm. really do it in, in an in vivo setting. So we are developing in vitro systems, uh, for example, the organoids where we can uh, keep pieces of gut alive for several <laughs> months. We're now trying to find a way of inoculating them uh, with uh, with gut bacteria uh, without killing them, uh, because all, normally organoids are grown in antibiotics. So uh, so we need to <laughs> it's a to little wait. challenging. Yes, it's a bit challenging. <laughs> But you know we can we can at least we can do this in an indirect way. So we can take the media of the bacteria and see the effects that they have on on the on the organoids. Uh, but we can also do uh, experiments on the on the microbiome outside the the organism mm-hmm. uh, using the so-called simulator of the human intestinal uh, microbiome uh, uh, ecosystem or SHINE. Uh, so we have a shime in in Quebec where we uh, we basically uh, in in state uh, a, a real human microbiome. So there is uh, several flasks, each of them mimicking the conditions you find in the stomach, in the duodenum, in the ileum, yeah. in the in the colon. So we we and if you put a fecal sample of uh, of, of a human being in in this system after a couple of weeks the bugs will start populating the different parts of the shime of the in, in a way similar to what they do in, in a human uh, 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 gastrointestinal system. And at that point, when we have this shime, we can give it foods, we can give it uh, uh, yeah. fish oil, for example, we can give it uh, polyphenols, we can give it many, many dietary stuff and see what happens independently of the host. And then Mm -hmm. we can find a way of introducing the host cells in this shime. And this is more complicated, but people are working on this. There are very strong groups in in the Netherlands who are working in in simulating uh, the the microbiome uh, uh, and the host interactions on a chip, for example, or in very small systems. So uh, once again, technology is just waiting for us uh, to ask the uh, the right questions
0: absolutely yeah that is that is so fascinating to learn about how that research is done that's been something i've wondered for a while exactly how you start to piece all that out because it is so complicated and it sounds like you and i both share uh, an interest in complex systems that's something that um yeah. that i definitely like as well i like puzzles and uh, so all of this is uh yeah very very fascinating and i, I want to be sensitive to your time i know we're we're creeping over um Over the hour, here, I've got one last question. One thing that I think people misunderstand about the entourage effect is that in the research that was originally published, uh, that you were an author on, that first described this effect, is you were looking at 2AG and you noticed that there were these other compounds that didn't seem to have much activity of their own on these receptors, but when they were present with 2AG, uh, you got unique effects. Is it fair to say that the concept of the entourage effect has been a little manipulated in popular culture to sort of take on a meaning that is different than what was originally intended?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I agree. And uh, and uh, both Rafi and I wondered sometimes whether or not uh, the the entourage idea had not been kind of uh, uh, mis-, mis mis misinterpreted or misunderstood in 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 many cases because you know it has been applied to to cannabis and to the yeah. pharmacology of cannabis which is a which is something that for a pharmacologist has really no meaning uh, because you cannot speak about the pharmacology of a plant you can speak of the pharmacology of the of the components of the chemical components of the mm-hmm. plant and even that is is quite difficult to, to do so uh, clearly uh, the entourage effect as we conceived it was uh, was uh, was born to, to explain why anandamide and 2-AG, 2-AG in particular, was accompanied by in tissues in, in blood, in wherever we analyze it, by congeners, by, by other monocyte glyphos, which at that time were thought to have no receptors. So they were orphan of receptors. Okay, so we wonder why would the cell make uh, 2-AG together with these compounds or anandamide together with the, its congeners if these congeners have no uh, no biological action. That would be a waste of, of, a, of, a, of a biochemical machinery. Uh, and then, you know, uh, and he, he said, "Okay, maybe they're they're doing something to the main actor of of the scene." And I thought that that something could be to retard their degradation, because uh, as, as I mentioned, both the unsaturated aldehydes and the monosac glycerols can uh, be degraded by uh, the same the same uh, Enzymatic uh, pathways as anandamide and 2-AG, so clearly they can compete for their degradation by this enzyme, mm-hmm. and through this means they can enhance their, they can prolong their lifespan, and then then uh, then enhance their activity. And this is what we found, and this is what we demonstrated in that paper. But then uh, uh, we, you know, the concept went went on forward and. Uh, since for, for some of these compounds, it was really difficult at the beginning to find a, a receptor, we, we, di- we carried out other different kind of, of uh, experiments, for example, whether these compounds could act as allosteric modulators of the receptors. And in fact, we found that uh, one of them, palmitoylethanolamide, later on uh, we showed would enhance the activity of anandamide at 3D1 channels. So these were really the early times of, uh, of uh, endocannabinoid research, and then uh, many groups, including the group of uh, Daniele Piomelli and, and others, showed that, in fact, these congeners were not inactive. They had their own receptors, mm-hmm. and uh, these receptors, in some cases, did uh, things uh, quite different from, uh, from the CB1 and CB2, and in some cases, things even opposite. So the entourage effect was kind of uh, uh, crushed by, by this idea because if, if 2-AG acts on CB1 and uh, by acting on CB1 stimulates food intake, stimulates fat accumulation, and its congenital act on another receptor known as GPI-119, which is which is mm-hmm. doing exactly the opposite, there is no, no more entourage effect uh, at the organismal level. Uh, so that was really something to be interpreted for the particular historical situation, and uh, I think it's still valid in some cells, for example, when because in all cells, these compounds are produced together with their uh, congeners, and not necessarily the receptors of these congeners are there. So when they're not there, maybe, and when CB1 and CB2 receptors are there, maybe they're actually acting as entourage compounds. The situation in the plant where it has been proposed that some terpenoids could enhance Mm -hmm. the activity of, of THC or CBD, or that other phytocannabinoids could denounce the activity of THC is completely different. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and uh, I don't know if there is an entourage effect in cannabis. Uh, I don't know whether it explains anything, if there is one. Uh, but, uh, but clearly it's different from, from what we did, what we uh, conceived uh, in the 1990s with, with Rafi.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really big thing that a lot of people listening to this are unaware of. Uh, mostly because, I mean, a lot of casual, you know, lay people that are interested in cannabis, a lot of them aren't going to the original research papers and, and reading the technical details on how these things came about. So I think I think that's very important to point out, because a lot of times what I teach is that we now know enough to realize how much we don't know. And, you know, and, and we and we have learned a lot um, but I a think, lot of times in the industry, yeah. a lot of claims are made yeah. that we know a lot more than we actually do. I think do. the
1: entourage effect, as it has been used today, is something different. Uh, it's, yeah. it's basically stating uh, another potential truth: is that the 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 mm-hmm. the, the, the effect of uh, of the, um, the 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 sums of the effect, okay, mm-hmm. the, the effect of the single components together is stronger than the sums of the effects taken alone. Okay, right. uh, yes. this is this is this could be true, but it's not the entourage mm-hmm. effect that uh, that Rafi and I thought about. Okay, the entourage effect right. was something that comes together with the with the main actor and is protecting it uh, from being. Uh, it's a real entourage effect if you think of it. From being degraded, from uh, its its enhancing its activity, its visibility, uh, and uh, and uh, the entourage, the the synergistic effect that you find in some plant preparations, it's probably Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's not true, but it's different from what we what we we found, and it's probably due to uh, different components acting on different receptors in a synergistic Mm -hmm. manner, uh, rather than in an additive or uh, counteractive uh, manner.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The way I always describe the entourage effects, I'm always kind of hyper analytical person anyway, but I always say that the entourage effect was initially conceived to describe an effect that that has components that generally you couldn't identify their effects by themselves. And then in together they had unique effects, which is slightly different than this sort of herbalism synergy kind of uh, kind of concept. Yeah, so that's that's really great to clarify. Well, before um. Any more hurricanes come your way and uh, <laughs> and knock us out
1: here. No, I hope it's enough for today.
0: <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. Um, off, off, off. Uh, recording. We were talking about how the, the storms everywhere are just getting so bad, and we've been struggling yeah. to finish the interview because yeah. of uh, thunderstorms coming through. But, but you can put things uh,
1: together, right?
0: Oh yeah, I'll edit yeah. it together. No one will know the difference. But Hurricane. um. Uh, <laughs> Dr. DeMarzo, thanks so much for being willing to spend. I know I, I took up, you know, about 30 minutes more of your time than, no than we planned. But it was not our fault. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, I really, really appreciate it. And, you know, I'm going to be following your work as as things continue for you. Thank you very much. It was, very,
1: very nice. it was nice speaking to you. Very, very nice questions.
0: Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad our, our paths you. could cross. And do you mind if in the future I reach out to you again sometime maybe next year sure. or so?
1: No problem, no problem. Excellent. I hope to be able to tell you something interesting regarding the interaction with the gut microbiome. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> if something comes up that gets you excited, feel free to email me because I get, you know, I'm excited about all this stuff too. So thanks so much for sharing uh, your insights with our listeners. Take it easy and have a great rest of your day and, and week.
1: Thank you very much. And you too. Take care. Take care.
0: If you want to learn more about cannabis, check out the Curious About Cannabis book on Amazon.com and other major online book retailers. To support the show and get access to an exclusive members-only podcast feed, access to private events, merchandise discounts, and more, visit www.patreon.com slash Curious About